God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, mercy, and your grace. Thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to look in your word. We thank you for your, our salvation that you purchased for us by the shedding of your blood, God. We pray as we continue to learn about salvation, God, that it will grow dear to our hearts. And again, that our lives will reflect the wonderful uh, work that you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so in, in looking at the Ordo Salutis, or Salutis, as we've been talking about, um, today we're going to look at the conversion. So we've looked at uh, uh, regeneration, which has been born again. We talked about that. John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Uh, we talked about election. We talked about atonement. And that was the last thing for the past two weeks we've been talking about atonement and the actual work of Christ, the work that he did in his life, the work that he did in his death uh, that paid the price, paid the penalty for our salvation. So we talked a little about redemption. We talked about uh, him being the propitiation. So we talked about the work of Christ. Um, And so today, it's just a small slice of the entire salvation story. But in the salvation story, I guess it's not a small slice. It's the part that we play in it. And it's the conversion part. And so we're going to talk about conversion today, what it means to be converted, what the Bible says about conversion and how conversion plays into uh, salvation. Old school, they used to say, have you been converted? Have you been saved? Have you been converted? And so that that term is used uh, together interchangeably. Um, Better say that. Mark chapter one, verse 15 um, we're going to talk about what conversion is, and just basically a definition of conversion. A conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. So, oh. Okay. All right. Well, I did that. <laughs> so uh, uh, conversion has two main components. The two main components of conversion are repent and trust. Repent of our sins sincerely and to place our trust in Christ for salvation. And you can see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Um, after John 14 says, after John is taken to custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And Jesus said this, verse 15, Mark chapter 1, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. So the two parts of conversion, the word for conversion actually means a turning. That's what conversion means. To convert is a turn. And so conversion, as you look at the definition, biblically has the idea of turning away from sin. So let's say this is sin here. And I'm turning away from sin. Turning. That's sincerely repenting or turn away from sin, but turning toward Christ. And so conversion, turning, it's turning two parts, turning away from sin and turning to Christ. It's not enough just to turn away from sin, and it's not enough just to turn to Christ. Biblical conversion is turning away from sin and turning to Christ. Uh, Look with me in Luke chapter 24. In Luke 24, we're talking about turning from sin. So turning from sin and look chapter four, that's called repentance, actually. When we repent, we turn from sin, we change our mind or 
uh, I like when uh, Tony Evans says we see sin or we recognize sin or see sin as God sees it. So we talked about how holy God was a couple of weeks ago and how high and holy he is and how he can't stand sin. He can't be around sin. And so by repenting of sin, it means I see sin like God said. I'm going to treat sin like God says it and I'm going to turn away. In Luke chapter 24, uh, uh, starting at verse 46, uh, uh, the scripture says this is again, Jesus. So remember, he was walking on the road. This is after he was raptured and it was two people walking on the road and they were sad. And this third guy started walking with him and said, why are you guys sad? And he was like, because they killed our Messiah. It turned out to be Jesus, whatever. And so this is what Jesus said. He opened their minds, verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance, there it is, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Repentance for forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. So conversion has to do with repentance from my sin. It also has to do with turning to a Christ. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Turn with me in your scriptures there. Acts 10, 43. This is Peter talking to Cornelius. And in 43, he said, he's just talking about, give him a little story, give him a little sermon. Of him, all the prophets, talking about Jesus, bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. So we see two verses. There's repentance for forgiveness of sins. And then there is belief or another word for trust or faith. It's the same root word there, pistos, belief, trust, faith. And so the turning away from sin, the repentance, and turning to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Faith. It's a simultaneous event. I like to look in this Old Testament to see how, how the Old Testament corresponds with the New Testament. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 or 7, you see how it's a simultaneous event. Um, Isaiah 55 Verse six, and this is a whole. This whole chapter is good, of course. But starting at verse six, let me find it. Seek the Lord, Isaiah saying. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked watch this. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts, and let them turn return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God who will abundantly pardon. So you'll see the two parts of salvation there. First it says let him let the wicked man or let the wicked woman or let the wicked boy or the wicked girl forsake his wicked ways. That means I was doing wickedness and now I'm going to forsake. You know what? I'm done with that. I'm done with the wicked ways. He's saying, let the unrighteous man forsake his unrighteous thoughts. And so if I have unrighteous thoughts, that's my actions and that's my thoughts. I'm going to forsake them. I'm going to turn from them and let him return to the Lord. So even in the Old Testament, you see that conversion has a two-part thing to it. It has to happen. The repentance and then the trusting or the faith or the believing. The definition of repentance, when you look at it, uh, 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 is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. So I'm sorry for my sin, a renouncing of the sin and a sincere commitment to forsake the sin and walk in obedience. So conversion is the two parts, turning away from my sin and turning to Christ. The turning away from my sin and the repentance 
is in of itself, not just, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. My bad. Repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship when you, when was the first time you heard that I'm sorry was not enough? You know, I did something wrong. I said, I'm sorry. Apparently, I'm sorry wasn't enough. Had to be more than just sorrow uh, uh, for that. Yeah. Again, it's my fault. <laughs> more than just sorrow. And so repentance has the idea as not just saying I'm sorry, but it involves more than that. So, again, it's not just we all know sin is wrong. I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not supposed to cheat. I'm not supposed to watch things I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to do things I'm not supposed to. That's not. That's just, just because I know that sin is bad does not mean that I am converted. Does not mean that I'm saved. Okay? Knowledge is not enough. Not only is knowledge not enough, feeling sorry for it is not enough. You can know that sin is bad. You can know that I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not supposed to cheat. I'm not supposed to disobey. I'm not supposed to watch things I'm not supposed to watch. You can know that. And you can also understand, and you also feel sorry for it. Man, I really shouldn't have done that. But that in of itself is not enough for salvation, not enough for repentance. Repentance has to be understanding that sin is wrong. Check. Feeling sorry for the sin that we did that was wrong. But it also has to do a personal decision. It has to be turning away from it, forsaking it, renouncing it. means abandoning, refusing ever to do that sin. And it has to do with the will. A decision has to be made. Not just that I know sin is bad. Not just that, ooh, I feel sorry for it. But the decision has to be made to forsake that sin, to turn away from that sin. To say, you know what? I am done with that. I'm going to change from going this way and turn from that. That's what true repentance is. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about this personal decision of of renouncing sin or turning away from sin. 2 Corinthians 7, starting at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, am I writing the right one? 2 Corinthians 7, 9? I'm in 8, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 7, here we go. 7, 9, and 10. I now rejoice, there we go. I now rejoice now that you were made sorrowful, not, I'm sorry, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful in the point, to the point of repentance. I'm going to read that again. Paul said, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, not just because you were sorry, not because you felt bad, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. You were sorry enough or you felt bad enough that you decided to repent. And what's repent? That means I'm going to sincerely commit, dedicate myself with my will. You know what? I am not doing that again. Keep reading. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's not good enough just to be sorry for your sins or to feel bad about it. Paul says that the sorrow that comes through God that God produces, it produces repentance and it leads to salvation. So we have to make sure that as Christians, because it all comes down to this, the question you have to ask yourself and only you can answer, have you been converted? Only you can answer that question. 
Are you a Christian? Have you placed, repented and placed your trust in Jesus Christ? And you check that by how you live. Okay? So it has the appointed time in your life when you say, you know what? I am going to forsake sin. I'm going to turn away from sin. And that is what leads to salvation. So we have repentance. The second part is the faith, the saving faith. Faith is, simply put, trust in Jesus. How do you know you've been converted? How do you know you are a Christian? How do you know you are saved? How do you know you've been regenerated? How do you know you've been reborn? Well, because I have put my trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. And so to understand what that is, we're putting faith in Jesus or trust in Jesus as a living person for forgiveness of sin and for eternal life with God. And so, again, just like repentance is not just a head knowledge, faith or trust is not just a head knowledge. It's not just, well, I know some good things about Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. That's not good enough for salvation. I believe that Jesus rose again. OK, I believe that. Not good at salvation. There's a lot of people who believe that Jesus died and rose who are on their way to hell. Matter of fact, the Bible talks, and we're going to look at it, that the demons believe. And they're in hell. So belief that Jesus did is not good enough. In Romans chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 32, Paul talks about that. Although they, talking about wicked, wicked, wicked people, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of, death, worthy of death, they not only do the same thing, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Paul said they know what God said. They have that knowledge that sin is bad. But he said even though they know it, they still do it, and they approve people who do it. And so knowledge is not good enough. Not just knowledge, but even belief. Belief isn't good enough. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 2. We spent a lot of time in John chapter 3, as we should, because John chapter 3 is talking about a new birth. This is salvation from the words of Jesus straight to the guy who was asking him. And so you remember Nicodemus came and he asked him, he said some good things about him. Rabbi, we know that you'll come. You're a good teacher. You come from God because no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Let me read that again. This man, talking about Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher and that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So not only did Nicodemus know, he also believed. He believed that. He said, OK, this guy's not just doing stuff. This guy's from God. And so he believed that Jesus was from God. What was the next thing Jesus said to him? Truly, truly, I say to you, you need to be born again. So not only was it good, knowing is not enough, and even belief. You say, you know what, I believe when the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross. I believe Jesus raised again. You can still be on your way to hell because knowledge and belief are not good enough. True faith, true saving faith comes with that personal trust. And by trust, I mean dependence. I trust in Jesus. I'm depending on Jesus. I'm relying on Jesus. I have committed myself to Jesus. That's where salvation comes. That's the saving faith that the scripture talks about. That dependence, that reliance, that confidence, that trust. And trust always includes persuasion. You ever didn't want to do something and somebody convinced you to do it? What do they do? 
they, 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 they tell you how good it is. They tell you how much fun you're going to have. Uh, 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 um, they try to think about what you like and try to tweak whatever they're trying to get you to do to match with what you like. You ever, somebody ever try to convince you to do something? That convincing is the action there. And that's what faith is. Anytime the Bible talks about faith or trusting, it's that persuasion or passion or commitment to do something. And that is what is necessary for salvation. We, we use the term believe or, or, or faith. And unfortunately, in the English language, those words have been kind of diluted. You know, belief these days has the idea of some type of far out craziness, something that probably won't happen. You know, for instance, um, uh, 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 belief and also belief doesn't necessarily how we talk today. Belief doesn't have the, any personal thing to it. For instance, I can say one plus one is two. How many believe that? Yeah, I believe one plus one is two. But there's no there's nothing personal attachment to that. It's just a raw fact. And so belief has an idea of no personal commitment and faith. Faith has really been messed up. Uh, uh, we use the term faith to mean Sometimes something that just can't happen. For instance, if somebody said, I have faith uh, that the Magic is going to make it to the playoffs. I mean, true fans, true fans have faith that, you know what? We, you know, if we get the right pieces, you know, it's a possibility we can make it to the playoff. But that is just not going to happen. But we use words like that. Faith is something that's far off that won't happen. But I'm just going to believe it because I really like it. When the Bible talks about faith, when the Bible talks about belief, it's not talking about something that's way off, something that's foolish, that you're attaching yourself to something foolish. It's talking about actually trusting, that dependence, that reliance. So the question is that we have to ask ourselves, do I trust in Jesus? When situations come to my life, what's my reaction? Do I depend on Jesus to help me through that? Do I depend on Jesus to help me through when I'm sick? Do I depend on Jesus to help me in my finances? Do I depend on Jesus to help me in my relationship? Do I rely on Jesus for all the decisions that I make? Am I committed to that? Do I have confidence that Jesus is going to be there, that he is going to help me, that he is going to guide me? Or do I kind of trust myself? Or do I kind of make decisions myself without even pulling them in? That's the question. Because if you do not trust Jesus, if you do not are not committed to him, if you do not depend on him, if you do not rely on him, then you might not be saved. You might not have been converted because conversion has to do with repentance, turning away from sin and trusting, depending, relying, committing yourself with that holy fervor, that holy passion to Jesus. It's a personal trust. And the thing about it is, how do we get trust? Well, we get trust the more we know about the person, the more we see a pattern of their life that deserves trust, the more we can place their trust in. The more we know about people, the more we can trust them. Uh, uh, um, The more we see how they live and say, you know what? That's a trustworthy person. If I first meet you, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't trust you. I have a natural, and this is probably bad. (laughs) I have a natural default that hmm, you're up to something. That's just my natural thing. And everything else, anytime in the communication is me trying to get enough evidence to say, okay, they're not up to something. There can be some level of trust there. And then that person goes from minus to zero, and then they have to go from zero on up. You start off negative. That's just how it is. Start off with the negative. But the idea is that as time goes by, the more we see person, the more we see that pattern, then trust can be built there. 
Whenever you look at faith in scriptures, it's always personal. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 12. It's always personal when you never look at faith in the Bible. And remember, faith, and I want, you to, I want this to burn in your head. When you see the Bible talk about saving faith, I want you to think trust. I want you to think relying. I want you to think depending on it. Right now, I'm relying on this chair to hold me up. I've given up all things to try to hit the floor. I've given up, and I'm using this chair to keep me from falling on the floor. That's reliance. That's trust. John chapter 1, verse 12, John says, But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right or the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Talking about faith, talking about receiving Christ. That word there, you, you think about it, the analogy is kind of like a personal, like I receive and guest in my home. It's a personal thing. Salvation is not a, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I'm saved. No. Belief is not enough. Okay? The belief has to have that trust in it, that dependence in it. John 3.16, we know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Say it again. Believes. Believes what? In him. him. Notice the scripture didn't say that whosoever believes. Or it doesn't say whosoever believes him. Because belief in him, belief, believing him is not enough. So it doesn't say for whosoever believes him shall not perish. It says for whosoever believes what? In him. That in him means that that trust or that confidence has to be into Jesus. You have to trust in him. Okay, that rests in Jesus as a person. Your trust, and I say this all the time because I heard it when I was young, your faith is only as strong as who you put your faith in. I can put my faith in this table and decide to jump up and down and on as hard as I can. That table is going to break. I'm I'm tipping right there at about 205, all right, with my Tim's on. So I can put the faith in that table as much as I want to. That thing is going to fall if I start hopping on it. Your faith is only as strong as who you put it in. That's why the scripture says, whosoever believes in him, I have to put my my faith and my trust inside of Jesus. Our faith, and there's other scriptures that talk about that too. I'll go through these quick. In John chapter 6, verse 35, uh, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Those who come to me will no longer hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And so we're talking about belief. That belief has to do with satisfying your hunger, something very personal. Um, John chapter 7, verse 37. Turn one page over. It says, now in the last days, in the great day of feast, and Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And so coming to Jesus, again, is made personal. Just like he will fulfill your hunger, he will fulfill your thirst. You can get some living water. He will satisfy you. All these scriptures show how that coming to Jesus is a personal thing. Um, let's look at one more, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Coming to Jesus, faith in Jesus, belief in Jesus, it's a personal thing. It's not a check the box. It's not a mental thing. It has to be completely a personal thing. 11 verse 28, Jesus said, come to me. There it is. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Very personal. Jesus said, come to me, and you will find rest. 
you will find peace for your soul if you come to me. So it's very personal. But I like how he says, but learn of me. Coming to Jesus, I can put more faith in him as I learn more about him, like the example we talked about. Our faith or our trust increases with knowledge and understanding of the facts. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, and and this is saying that our, our faith is increased with knowledge. Paul says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word of Christ. So think about it. Faith, which is Whenever time you hear faith, I want you to think of what? Who remember? Just said it. And it's, yes, trust. Everybody say trust. Trust. We're going to turn to that kind of church. (laughs) So I do what everybody say. Turn to your neighbor. Trust. Whenever you see faith, you don't have to. (laughs) Whenever you hear the word saving faith, I want you to think trust. And so the Bible says that faith or trust comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. And so in order for me to have faith, I have to hear the word. So as you see, my faith or my trust or my dependence or my confidence or my relying on Jesus Christ for salvation has to be united with hearing the word of God. The more I hear the word of God, the more I read the word of God, the more I study the word of God, the more knowledge I have about God. And the more my knowledge of God increases, so my trusting in him increases. That's how this thing works. Uh, I was thinking about it. And I was talking to Melissa um, while we was driving up from Miami, thinking that, you know, it's crazy that there are some people who we didn't know 10 years ago that we feel confident enough to leave our most precious possessions, our children, with and go out of town. Like, you know, I don't know this dude from Adam. I knew from 305 back in the day, you know, from Hialeah 305. I didn't know him. But over the years, because of our relationship that we've had, there's been some knowledge there. And we know something about him. We learn something about him. We've seen him in action. We see how they interact with their kids. We hear about what they go through. And over the years, it's come to a fact that from not knowing this dude, who I probably would have never known from 305, me from Virginia, some Puerto Rican dude from 305, and some Puerto Rican Cuban girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just made her Puerto Rican. <laughs> well, you're married. The Bible says you should become one. So technically, you're Puerto Rican and Cuban. There we go. <laughs> Receive it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will not watch your children anymore. <laughs> Some Cuban girl and Puerto Rican boy from the 305 that I would have never known. But now, I'm leaving my children over their house for days. They still stay in the night, right? Because of the fact... <laughs> Because of the fact that there was some knowledge there. The same thing is with the word of God. Our faith or our trust in Jesus is only strengthened as we learn more. That's why it's important that we read the scriptures. That's why it's important that we study the scripture so that our faith would increase because the increasing of our faith and our trust builds our relationship with Christ. So, true conversion is turning away from sin which is repentance. And that's, again, that's not just, I feel sorry. It's saying, you know what? I'm done with that. And turning to Christ, putting my faith, putting my trust, my confidence, my reliance, my dependence on Jesus. It's interesting that salvation isn't preached like that anymore or broken down like that anymore. You know, it got, it's gotten to a point now over the years that we tell somebody, we ask them a few questions. You know, hey, do you believe? 
Baby God, do you want to have some peace in your life? Tell you what, repeat after me. And, and we ask some questions. There's nothing wrong with the questions. Receive some answers. And then we say, repeat after me. And then somebody repeats a prayer. And as soon as they repeat a certain prayer, the preacher or whoever declares, now you are saved. Now you are a believer. Today, and, and it's interesting that when you look at that, how, how, how we've gone to that with no discipleship after or no understanding of, listen, now there is a repentance that's part of this thing. And so we have people who say a prayer and then can live in the kind of way they want because there's no knowledge there of a repentance that needs to take place. There has to be a turning away. If you are saved and have not turned away from your sin, you are not saved. If you are saved and you have not turned and put your trust in Jesus, then you are not saved. And we know the Bible says, this doesn't mean you're not going to sin, but it's a will, it's an attitude of I am done with that lifestyle and I am now putting all my faith and dependence in Jesus with what salvation has to do. Turn with me on Ezekiel chapter 36. Again, the Old Testament. And like I said, I love to look at the Old Testament and see some New Testament things in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at verse um, 22, it says, uh, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned. That means been uh, uh, abused or, or joked on or disrespected among the nations. For you have disrespected or profaned in the midst. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will, here we go, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all the filthiness and all the idols. But look at 24, what it says first. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. That has to do with the taking me from somewhere, sin, and bringing you to where God is, your own land that God's promised you. Then he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There it is again. I'm going to take your old heart, and, which was toward the nations, which was toward the evil, to which was profaning me or disrespecting me, and I'm going to take out that old heart, and I'm going to give you a new heart. There is a change that takes place when it comes to salvation. I will put my spirit in you, within you, and cause you, verse 27, to walk in my statues, and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Salvation has a change has got to take place. A regenerated heart, a changed heart, a new creature, a new heart, a new nature. And with that comes new affections. Now, affection is a good old school Baptist word. And you say, how are you? Or what are your affections to? And affections pretty much means your love. What do you love? Your likes. What do you like? Your care abouts. What do you, think about for a second, what do you really, really, really care about? Your love, your likes, your cares, your desires. What do you desire? 
person who is truly converted, the person who is truly saved, their affections, their love is toward Christ, their like is toward Christ, their care is toward Christ, and their desires are toward Christ. So if you have a regenerated heart, if you have been born again, if you are a Christian, then the more knowledge you have of God and his works and what he does and this person of Jesus Christ, the more your affections will be drawn to him, the more love you will have for him. I heard people say, I want to love God more. I said, okay, what do you know about him? The reason I love my wife and I love her more and more and more and more each day because I continue for the past 23 years to know more and more and more about her. So I got 23 years of knowledge on her. And so my love for her is just continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Why? Because I know more about her. I've experienced, I've lived with her, I've moved with her. We made decisions together. We've been through hard times together. So those years of knowledge and experience and going through things build my love and my affection and my like and my care and my desire toward her. And so if your love and your care and your desire toward Christ is not where it should be growing, should never be a point where it stops. You need to check your desire. You need to check yourself. Check your salvation out. Because the Bible says that our regenerate heart, I will give you a new heart. And with that new heart comes my new affections. And our affections should be grow. And we also should be growing in a, uh, uh, growing to esteem. That's another good word, esteem. Y'all familiar with that word? To esteem. Esteem means to reverence or to adore or to respect or to appreciate God. And so not only should we be growing in our love toward God, we also should be growing in our respect and our appreciation, our mind, our reverence toward God. So as God becomes greater and greater in the picture, everything else becomes smaller and smaller. And so the question I have for you is, who do you have affection for? Who do you care for? Where is your desire pointed to? And then who do you have esteem for? Who do you have respect for? Who do you have reverence for? Who do you admire? Who do you appreciate? And is your appreciation toward God growing? Do you appreciate God more and more each day? Because that is a witness that you are, in fact, a Christian. Do you admire God more and more each day? Because if you do that, then that's a sign that you are truly a Christian. Are your desires toward God growing more and more every day? If so, then that's a sign that you are a Christian. Are your desire for learning the word of God or studying the word of God grow more and more and more? Then that is a sign that you are a Christian. I like to think where I was a year ago. Because life grows. It's a simple fact. If something is alive, it grows. Something that dead does not grow. And so if my spiritual walk is alive, if I am a Christian, God said he's given me a new heart. Okay? And so that I should be growing. That means that my affections from last year to this year should be bigger. My esteem of God from last year to this year should be bigger. That means my love of God should be more than it was a year ago. My care toward God and my desire toward God should be more than it was a year ago. That means that my respect for God, my appreciation of God, my admiring, my admiration for God should be more than it was a year ago, a month ago, a week ago, a day ago. If it is not, if I don't see a growth there, guess what? You're dead. I'm dead. If there is no growth, there is death. We need to check ourselves. That's what the Bible says. Peter says it. You should check your salvation. 
He tells you that because people were confused. People were thinking they were saved and they were not. People were thinking that they were on their way to heaven and they were not. Jesus even said it. There's going to be many people in that last day to say, Lord, but I, I thought I was saved. And Jesus said, I didn't know who you are. You were dead. You thought you were, but you were dead. But I went to church, dead. But I believed, dead. But I knew, dead. But I read the Bible, dead, on your way to hell. And so there should be a combination where you say, okay, let me check my growth. And if you check your growth and say, you know what, I haven't. You know, I've been saved, thinking I'm saved for all this time. I've been reading the Bible. And I can honestly say that, you know what, my affection for God hasn't grown. My love for God hasn't grown. I don't feel more love for God than I did a week ago, a day ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. I don't know more about God. I know about the same stuff I always knew. I've learned nothing new about God in the past week, the past month, the past year, the past 10 years. Hmm. Maybe I'm one of the ones who are going to say, but Lord, Lord, I thought I was saving. He's going to say no. If that's the case, check your salvation. It's not too late. It's a change. It's a commitment. It's a turn away from sin and it's a trust. It's simply say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my commit, commit myself to you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to rely on you for this salvation. I'm going to depend on you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I'm sin and I'm sorry for my sin, but I'm not just going to be sorry. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to make a decision. You know what? I'm done with that. And I'm going to turn to you, Christ, and I'm going to put my trust in you, my true trust in you. And because of this new relationship, now I'm going to learn more about you because I know learning about you will make my trust in you grow. That way my trust is going to start growing. And as I learn more about you, I'm going to love you more because I know no more about you. And so now my love is going to grow and my affection is growing and my trust is growing and my esteem. I begin to appreciate you more. I begin to respect you more. I begin to admire you more. And now I can say, yes, I trust in God. Yes, I am growing as a Christian. To grow in holiness, you must also grow in knowledge of God. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Hebrews, James, first Peter, second Peter, second Peter one. I read to grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true what knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and excellence. Divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. How do I get the godliness? How do I become like God? Godliness, the things of God, holy as God is. That comes from knowledge of who God is. And the knowledge of who God is comes from the scripture. So I need to be growing in my Bible reading. I need to be growing in my trust. I need to be growing in my holiness, growing in my godliness. And that comes from truly being born again. The more my affection grows, the more my love grows, the more my likes grows, the more my desire grows, the more my esteem grows, the more my appreciation and my respect grows, then the more God reveals himself to me. And the more he reveals himself to me, the more my affection grows. In Psalms chapter 1, verse 2, a verse says, uh, this is, you know, it starts off with the blessed is the man who do this and blessed is the man who do that. And verse two says, but he his delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and in his law did he meditate day and night. His delight, his affection, his love, his care, his desire is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in the word of God, he meditates day and night. You can know what your affections are because that's what you spend your time doing. How do you know what you love? Who do you spend most of your time with? That's who you love. How do you know what you like? What do you spend most of your time doing? It's simple. It's not rocket science. What do you care for? What do you, what do you spend most of your time doing? What do you desire? What am, what am I always chasing? What's that one thing I'm always trying to do? What do I really want to do? Not, not what I really want to do. What am I always doing? That's the question. Because what you're always doing, what you're always chasing, and who you always spend your time with, that's where your affections are. And so the question is, am I always trying to spend time with God? How do you know who you're esteeming? Well, it says, who do you appreciate? Who do you respect? Who do you admire? We need to make sure that those things are turned toward God. And so the question today is the self-reflection. Is this a reality in our life? I have to check myself. I ask myself daily, do I see God doing a work in me? And I know you heard it like, is God going to do a work in me? Yeah, but the question is, do I see myself growing? That's simple. How do I know I'm saved? Because I see myself growing. I see where I was a week ago. I see where I was a month ago. I see where I was a year ago. I see where I was 10 years ago. I say, you know what? I see some growth there. Has God revealed himself to you? Am I being drawn to him with greater love and greater affection and greater desire? In greater reverence? Am I growing? Not just in hate for the world, because you say, you know, I, I really, really hate bad stuff. And that's why, you know, it, it's kind of not scary, but I think about myself when I grew up. I didn't grow up in a house. My mama and dad were there. They loved God. They were saved. They took me to church every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I was in God's house. My grandparents were saved. When I go to my grandma's house, they were going to church every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They were Christian music played in the house in my grandma's house, as in my house. Won't nobody cursing in my, mama, my, my, my mama's house, my house, my grandma's house. None of that stuff was going on. So I was raised around that. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. And bad stuff just didn't happen. I didn't do bad stuff. I did bad stuff. But the bad stuff wasn't there. It wasn't a, 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 you know, a house of freedom of badness. And so I grew up as a young age knowing what was right and what was wrong. And in that and I look at our kids and I think about it. They are very, very, very in, in an amazing position where their parents bring them to church, where they know right from wrong and they do stuff. And in that, you might get the idea that, oh, OK, I must be saved because I don't really do bad things. And the danger for young people and the danger for us is that we get that idea, well, I don't do bad things. God, I know that guy, he, he cursed all the time and she lie all the time. And they sneak out and do this with that, and they go this and that, and they don't they lie to their parents. So, okay, they are bad. But I don't do any of that, so I'm good. But it's not enough. It's not enough that I don't do bad stuff. You know, you may have turned away from bad or not doing bad, but the question is not that. The question is, where is your affection? Where is your heart? Where is your trust? Who are you trusting in? Who are you relying in? Who are you depending in? Who do you love? Who do you like? Who do you care? Where are your desires? That's the question, young people, you need to ask yourself. Because that determines the question I need to ask myself. Because I can say, you know what? Eh, I don't do that. <laughs> I know some heathen out there, and I'm not a heathen, so I'm good to go. It's not good enough. It's where your trust is, where your affection is. The Bible says, 
uh, uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate day and night? And so I admire, admonish us to have make that have that discussion with ourselves. Where's my delight? Where are my desires? Who do I respect? And make sure it's placed in God. So conversion. Two parts have to be repentance, which is turn away from sin. Not just saying I'm sorry, but saying, you know what? Not only am I sorry, but just like Paul said in Second Corinthians, I'm not only sorry, but I'm going to just turn away from it. I'm done with it. I'm going to forsake sin and then turn to Christ and place my trust, my reliance, my dependence, my confidence in him. And when I do that, now I'm saved and I will see the growth there in that. So let's continue. And, and I think it's a thing we should do daily. Paul said, check your salvation daily. And I do that myself, and I think we should all do that. We should check ourselves to make sure we're growing. And you say, you know what, Ulo, I check, and I'm not growing. What do I do? Hey, this book is full of it. And I uh, um, read the word. This is part of growing. Coming to church is not just a thing of, well, I'm going to come because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, we come to church. The reason we come here and we come together and we worship as community is so we can hear about the things of God. Because the more I hear about the things of God, then my knowledge increases, which my trust increase. You know, you think about uh, uh, when, when I talk about uh, 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 my wife and I tell other people about my wife. I like to tell other people about my wife and the things she does. And you've seen it before. You see it on Facebook anniversaries. People put things on. My wife is this. My wife is that. You see that. It's just as I do that, I remind myself of how much I love her and how good she is. You know, we had a wedding. And every March 6th, we go and we watch the video of the wedding. And we sit there and we watch it. And what happens? When you sit there and you watch the video, you start thinking, oh, my goodness, remember that? Oh, I remember that. And then you start getting into this. <laughs> That's a terrible sound. But you start getting into this feeling of love because you remember that moment. And remember when she, that door opened and she walked down. And you remember the dress. And you remember when you kissed. And you remember all that. And as you remember, as you recount, that love begins to strengthen again. The same thing happens with the word of God. As I remember what God did for me, as I study what God does for me, I remember. And I say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that love begins to grow. When I tell others about my wife, I tell her, you know, Melissa did this or she did this or she's this. What does that do? That helps me because as I'm telling Miami about Melissa, I'm thinking, yeah, she is good. And I'm telling how good she is. Same thing we do with the word of God. We should be telling others because as I tell others, as I remember, I recount that, I begin to remember, yeah, he is a good God. And coming to church, you know, when, when, when I hear other people talking about Melissa, you know, Melissa really helped me or Melissa is this. And I'm like, yeah, talk, let me hear some more about that. She, she is good. She, she is wonderful. The same thing when I come to church, that's what we do. When we hear these testimonies, I'm hearing from Ray how good God is. And that's reminding me, yeah, he is a good God. And my affections and my esteem grow for him. And when I hear testimonies about she was driving down the side of the road and there was a flat tire and she has no idea how the car kept going and didn't even feel it. Yeah, because God is good. Because that's the stuff that my God does. He's a good God. He protects us on the highway. Even when we don't know things are going on. And I begin to remember that. And so my faith, my trust in that God is strengthened from hearing it from other people. That's why we come here. The reason we come to church is so we can remember together and we can recount together and we can study together and we can remind ourselves about this. And I need to be in this. The reason we do the Lord's Supper is for that's why Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Because as a remember, yes, I'm eating this bread because he died. 
I'm drinking this uh, 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 wine or grape juice because he shed his blood. And I'm remembering that. As I remember, I begin to build that trust and that love and that affection. And it continues on and on and on. So let's check our salvation. Let's recount. Let's remember and let's share the gospel. And let's make sure that our affections are in the right place and our esteem is in the right place. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for this plan of salvation that you laid out before the foundation of the world, God. We thank you how it's so intricate, detailed, God, intricately detailed, but it's also simple enough for us to understand, God. And you laid it out in your word, God. And I pray that everybody in the sound of the voice will check their salvation out on a daily basis, including myself, God, to make sure that we are growing, to make sure that we're growing in our love towards you, to make sure we're growing in our knowledge of you, to make sure we're growing in our respect and our admiration for you, God. And we thank you, God, that us nobodies, us nothing creatures that you created, God, you've given us the opportunity to have a personal, growing relationship with an almighty, immoral immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wonderful God. I pray, God, that we'll live a life reflecting that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Any prayer requests, anybody? We are...